0: Hey everybody, Mark Dawes here and yesterday I did a podcast called Complicating the Uncomplicated and I want to follow on from that today with a second podcast called Strategic Blindness, Situational Awareness, Dr. Hadiza, Bauer-Garber and Physical Skills Training because I think this follows on nicely from the points I made in the podcast yesterday and if you want to hear that podcast then go to our website www.nfps.info/blog. Now. Let me first talk to you about strategic blindness. Because strategic blindness is a term that's used in business that relates to companies who fail to ignore certain unpleasant realities despite the evidence, uh, and they simply bury their head in the sand hoping that if they do nothing... The risk will pass, and in many cases, this generally results in those companies failing or going bankrupt because they fail to incorporate and embrace change. Now, the same can be said for a lot of physical skills training programs in this country. You know, they they don't look at the change that's going on. They don't learn new things. They don't embrace new styles of teaching, um, and yet bizarrely many of them still exist although a lot of them do struggle so it's really important that you know if you want to develop your business if you want to carry on in whatever you're doing if you want to be around in five or ten years time then you need to understand that you know, if, if you become strategically blind to the changes that are happening around you then it's very likely that you're not going to be around and this is the main reason why a lot of good trainers in our industry fail yeah, they fail because they fail to embrace and incorporate change. Now, something else I want to talk to you about is inattentional blindness. And if you've been on courses with me, you remember the Moonwalking Bear video. And that's basically where we've got two basketball teams, four players in each team, one team dressed in light-coloured gear, the other team wearing dark-coloured gear. And the task I set people is to count the number of passes that the team in the dark clothes made and people are so busy counting they're so focused on trying to count the number of passes that they miss someone moonwalking across the front of the camera in a bear costume and that's that is a typical example of, of inattentional blindness which is the failure to see the obvious when it's right in front of you and that's linked to what we just talked about which is strategic blindness There's lots of videos on YouTube you can find about the amazing uh, colour changing card trick and you can find the the moonwalking bear video on on, on YouTube as well so you can look at that in your own time. But let me tell you about an airline flight which is Eastern Airlines Flight 401 to illustrate another example of this. Now this flight took off from New York to Miami with 163 people on board and on descent the pilot pulled the lever to lower the wheels and the light that should have illuminated on the dashboard to show that the front wheel was down and secure actually failed to do so. So this meant one or two things either the wheel was not down or there was a problem with the light fitting so the pilot had no option but to place the aircraft in a holding pattern so they were doing a circuit while they fixed the problem and it was getting close to midnight at that 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 time of day so what happened was the pilot pulled the light from its fitting he blew on it to remove the dust and the crew pondered if there was something wrong with the wiring they thought well if they've cleaned the light and put it back it doesn't work must be something wrong with the wiring so as they circled you know frantically trying to troubleshoot this problem they failed to notice one thing and they failed to notice that the autopilot had inadvertently been disengaged and that the plane was starting to descend. And they could not feel this descent because their senses were deceived by the plane's motion. Now as the plane dropped through 1,750 feet, an alarm sounded in the cockpit, but the crew didn't hear that either. They were so focused on the light that the alarm didn't even register. That flight, Eastern Airways 401, Crashed into the Everglades and 101 people were killed. Now, on the surface, that incident may seem like gross negligence. You know, how could trained professionals, you know, aircrew fail to hear an alarm? How could these pilots and aircrew fail to notice a plane descending? And, you know, it, it, doesn't it show that their minds were wandering and, and they weren't paying attention? But only when you put yourself in the high pressure reality of the cockpit, with escalating pressure and multiple demands arising at the same time, does the mistake become not just explicable, but even predictable. Indeed, in the 1970s, a litany of accidents happened in an uncanny and similar way. In 1978, Airlines 173 crashed in suburban Portland, Oregon, when the crew was so preoccupied with the landing gear problem that they didn't notice that the plane was running out of fuel. there's another example of that you know one year later a dc-8 flew into the side of a mountain killing everyone on board when the crew became focused on a problem with the wheels you know these crews were not negligent you know on the contrary these incidents highlighted common weak spots in in human psychology and this goes back to this issue of situational awareness because what we'd know about situational awareness, is that when cognitive load is high, decision-making can be compromised. And our situational awareness is the term used to describe the capacity of a crew to keep track of the multiple factors that together impinge on safety. You know, the various pieces of the jigsaw that collectively provide perspective. But when multiple demands are placed on a team, situational awareness can be undermined. Pieces of the jigsaw, even seemingly obvious ones like the alarm, are missed. Now let's look at the case of Dr Hadiza Balgarba, and this was the doctor who won her appeal to work again. It was on the news yesterday, and there's a Panorama documentary about it, which is definitely worth a watch. I mean, Dr Balgarba was convicted of manslaughter by gross negligence in 2015 over the death of six-year-old Jack Adcock, who died of sepsis at Leicester Royal Infirmary in 2011. She was actually struck off in 2018. Uh, But like I said, she won her appeal to actually go back to work yesterday. Now, the case is quite an interesting case because... She was initially struck off and found guilty of gross negligence manslaughter because she made three key errors. This is what the the investigation initially found. So, you know, in her primary diagnosis at the time, in 2011, she she gave a little too weight to young Jack's need for oxygen. And then later on, after blood tests, you know, on review, she didn't appreciate the full significance of elevated lactate in Jack's blood, and when blood results were obtained for the afternoon handover on the day, she did not register that the the raised creatine indicated abnormal kidney function. Now, on the surface, these errors may seem negligence, you know, how could Dr. Balgarber fail to realise the full significance of the need for oxygen? Why did she fail to appreciate the warning signs of raised lactate and creatine? I mean, didn't she care about this young boy, you know, was her mind on other things? Well, there's a deeper analysis and a more complex picture that's now come to light about this case, which is why she's won her appeal. The actual consultant who was in charge of the Leicester Royal Infirmary was not in hospital on that day. He was actually away. It was a diary mix-up. The men who was lecturing at a university outside of the city. And then by another quirk of fate, the registrar, covering the Children's Assessment Unit was not there either. So Garba was covering for them both. Also, due to a hospital IT failure, which would strain the entire system, the senior house officer was delegated to phone for results from noon until 4 p.m. She was covering, Dr. Bauer Garber was covering for this colleague too. Dr. Bauer-Garber had also just returned from 13 months maternity leave and had little experience of working on a child assessment unit. She was also supposed to have had an induction to get up to speed, which would have boosted her situational awareness, you know, providing a broad perspective of the various wards, the patients, and how to manage her workflow and to integrate all of Jack's information into a moment-to-moment decision-making. But for staffing reasons, the induction didn't happen. And, you know, On the day, two out of every three nurses on shift were actually from an agency, they weren't employed staff. Dr. Bauer Garber also found herself covering six hospital wards across four floors with dozens of children directly under her supervision, many of whom were very, very sick indeed. Her first act on arrival on shift was to respond to a crash bleep as a child went into cardiac arrest and that caused her to miss the morning handover, which was a crucial issue that would have affected her situation awareness, but it enabled her to save a child's life. Also during the day, she performed a lumbar puncture. She stabilised the child experiencing epileptic fits and it was also difficult for her to take any break on the wards at all. Every few minutes, Dr. Barogar was taking the calls of GPs, providing advice to midwives, making diagnosis, offering reassurance to worried patients and parents, attempting to sustain an overview of the pieces in a multi-dimensional jigsaw and perhaps wondering how long it would be before she could quench her past throat or grab a bite to eat. And on the most demanding day of her career, she averted multiple tragedies. Amid dozens of critical decisions, she made three errors. It just so happened that all three errors, which partially fed into each other, this is sometimes called a trajectory of error, were focused on one patient, Jack. Now, given the fraught circumstances, one might ask why... Bauer-Garber didn't absent herself from the hospital on that day. Now wouldn't that have protected patients from inadvertent errors arriving from system overload? I mean, after all, if the pilot arrives at the airport and decides that it's unsafe to fly, everyone goes home, nobody dies. However, if Bauer-Garber had walked out, patients would have been infinitely more exposed because the remaining staff would have been stretched beyond measure. By staying, Dr put patients first. She was doing her job and the Court of Appeal upheld her appeal. Now, Professor Don Berwick from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement said, we set her up for failure. Because there were so many things going on that day, her situ awareness was compromised and she failed. She failed in three key areas that all came together that resulted in the death of a six-year-old boy. Now, we have to bear in mind also that Dr. Bauer-Garber was a junior doctor, not a senior doctor. And errors occur rarely in isolation. But in this case, it was a perfect storm this doctor was charged with unlawfully killing a six-year-old child. And after a four-week trial, the doctor was found guilty of gross negligence manslaughter, was given a two-year suspended prison sentence, and struck off the medical register. However, as I've said already, the Court of Appeal, taking a wider view of this and looking at all the evidence, decided that it wasn't her fault. The system had let her down. As one doctor said, the focus moved off the focus of the system failures and onto the focus of the doctor. So when the system failed, the doctor was hung out to dry. So what does all this mean to us, particularly to those of us that teach Or are going to be taught physical skills training techniques well the first thing is if we're taught multi-move complicated breakdowns of techniques then our situational awareness is going to reduce we're going to be more focused on the technique than what we're using the technique for and as a result of that the margin for error increases and people end up getting hurt and injured you know as we've said already you know when cognitive load is high decision making can be compromised so if staff who are taught A complex system of learning physical skills techniques, be they physical restraint, physical intervention, breakaway, self-defense, it doesn't matter. If they're taught that within a complicated teaching system and every technique is broken down to the yin-yang back. then when they are put in situations of high emotional arousal, their decision-making is going to be compromised and it's going to increase the margin for error. It's happened on airlines. It's happened in the Dr. Bauer-Garber case. You know, and we have to remember as well that a lot of the staff who learn this, particularly in the healthcare and the care sector, also have a lot of other demands placed on them. Some of these people are working long shifts. I know for fact some of these people end up in restraints for long periods of time. And all of this combined, as I've said already, potentially is leading to a perfect storm. And here's my concern once again, is that when this goes wrong... As I've said, as it's been said already in the the Dr. Garber case, when this goes wrong and a technique fails, this is a technique with failure built in. When that fails, the focus is always on the member of staff and not on the system or the training provider or the organization that's commissioned the system. And that's why, you know, my pet hate, the pet phrase I hate is, is the technique would have worked if you have done it properly. And that means to me is, listen, if you had more time practicing a complicated technique with failure built in, then there may be a probability that it might, it might work once. It's not right. The simplest thing to do to solve the problem is this. Keep it simple, stupid. Teach gross motor skill techniques. Provide an instructional system that's easy to... For, for staff to actually teach, and so the techniques are easy for staff to learn, remember, and recall when it's needed. And, you know, like I said right at the beginning of this podcast, strategic blindness is something that results in in the business world and companies going bust. And in our industry, as training providers, as consultants, as, as special providers, whatever we want to call ourselves, we need to look and embrace change. And things have moved on. And like I said yesterday, there are still companies out there teaching stuff that was taught in the 70s and 80s. You know, Christ, you know, we're in 2015 now uh, 2018 now. Blimey, I lost three years then. We're in 2018 now. You know, we're, we're nearly 40, 50 years on from when some of these programs were first put into place. But they're still using the same instructional model you know if you had a computer that was 20 years old running 20 year old software it wouldn't work it wouldn't integrate it wouldn't communicate with anything you know your laptop your software is updating all the time you have to buy new bits for your laptop you buy a new laptop buy a new computer every now and again in fact we move on from computers to things like iphones and and ipads and all sorts of stuff now because technology moves on we do this with technology we don't expect things to last forever yet we still have historically in our industry now training programs that are not fit for purpose because they cannot simply show how their training has evolved how it's embraced change and how it's gone from what it started with maybe 10 20 30 years ago to where it is now some of this training is not even audited but here's my key point once again let's keep it simple stupid teach techniques that are easy to learn so that staff can learn them easily, remember them and recall them when they're needed. And let's get away from all these complex teaching systems, these multi-stage teaching models. You know, it's teach staff simple stuff. Keep it simple, stupid. Thank you.